From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 209 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I am doing okay. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. So did you get a pair of mouse ears that are embroidered on the back that says North Star? I it did not. No. Um, you know, I I just I'm too cheap to pay for the embroidery as much as I want it. So maybe maybe I can find someone with like a felt pen or something to just write it on the back and oh, you then could I do that. carry that with me. But you know what? I've never understood the embroidery on the back. I'm and I'm saying this as someone who has embroidered ears. So <laughs> take take it with a grain of salt, but I've never understood it because it's like one of those things like do I really want people to know my name as I'm walking around? Do, do do I want them to have that information? But I guess you also wear butter, birthday buttons that have it, yeah. too. So I, and it's, first visit buttons yeah. and all that. Yeah. yeah. So the, I remember the, the embroidered ears Carol and I probably treasured the most is the first time we took our granddaughter and family to well, to Disneyland. And we got embroidered ears that said Grandma and Grandpa. Oh, that's and then, adorable. Yeah, and then we got her, our granddaughter, you know, the uh, her first first ears, and they were little, you know, the little pink ones, you know, the ears. I don't know if they still make them anymore. We had her name on them and all that. And so, um, yeah, so we still, those, I, we still have those ears. I still have those. So I don't have my granddaughter's first ears, but we have... Um, we have ours. Grandma and Grandpa I still have those. So th- those those are fun. Oh yeah, no. I, I the embroidered ears that I have are uh, that Kylie and I got on our honeymoon out to Disneyland. We got our wedding date put on. Oh, that's so nice. That's that's the one thing uh, that I had, and I, I wore it around proudly. And you know what? It was it was a nice day uh, wearing them because we did get people saying like, "Oh, congratulations" and such. So. Yeah, it, you know what? I'm I'm back on the ears being embroidered. I'm happy with it. I'm not going to get North Star though. <laughs> that, that's a waste of money that Disney does not deserve right now. <laughs> no, I am. Um, I almost when I was at Disneyland, I almost got uh, one with the magic key, but the mouse ears were boring. I thought, okay, there's no new mouse ears because they're in the caps and they're into at Disneyland. It's more caps and more the um headband ears and they have just the same they just have the basic disneyland ears and first visit ears and you know things like that and um birthday ears and i thought i don't need another pair of disneyland ears just to have magic key on it so um anyway i did finally get my magic key box though the little box with the loot in it so but that's about it 
Well, we are going to talk once again about Destination D23, the rebranded D23. Now, the last time we talked about it, now, of course, this was November 20th and 21st, um, 2021. That's when the panels were. And the last time we spoke about it, we talked about the morning of Saturday, November 20th. So if you're wondering what went on in the morning, uh, you can go back and listen to that episode about it. We're now picking up again at the after the afternoon break, after we all managed to get on the monorail and head somewhere for lunch. And um, so now... It's the, at two o'clock. It started off with a panel on Cirque du Soleil's new um, "Drawn to Life" um, show that's at, at Disney Springs, and we talked about this, our thoughts on the show back, I think, in December, mm-hmm. November, December. So I, I learned a little more about what it was about, but and but it was interesting what went into the creation of it. So they had the writer and director there, and I was a few minutes late, so I didn't catch the writer's full name. It was Michelle. I know it's his yes. first name. Yeah. And so and so the story goes an artist passes away and leaving behind his wife and daughter. And he connected to his daughter through animation and he left her one last project on his animator's desk in the basement which it which launches her on a grand adventure which might leave some people perplexed as to what that adventure was all about um anyway eric goldberg collaborated as a creative consultant and he created custom animation and um, pencil in in a pencil sketch style for the show. And then, um, and then Natalie collaborate, who is another speaker there. She collaborated on projects with parks and shows, but she said never to this degree. And then um, the character, Julie, Eric created the model sheet of her as a girl and that her father created. And um, he also created the letter that is um, part of the show, too. That is the letter to the daughter explaining, you know, what to yeah. do, what this adventure is. And then there were these comforting sheets, the walk around. And at first it was going to be Jiminy Cricket. These sheets, they displayed characters on them. And it was going to be Jiminy Cricket, but then they went with Baloo, the bear. And then all of the comforting sheets had to be coordinated so they looked as if they are relating to each other. So that all the characters, as they appeared on these sheets, they all interacted with each other. And then they created the design of Julie drawing herself as she gets her, sort of her wings as an animator. And so... They said they were ready to open 20 months ago, but had to change a couple of sketches. And then, uh, and because the performers from China couldn't return, um, because they had returned home due to COVID. Yeah. And all that. Yeah. So the moments in the show only Disney fans will appreciate, they said. Like, um, seeing there is, this was, cool. There's Mary Blair concept art, and it comes to life for the first time. We actually see her concept art. I think it was like Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland and all that. And that was very nice. And um, 
that that was actually about it that I had for it. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot there. Yeah. So it, it, this one was, you know, I I think it it was very interesting for everyone who was able to see the show and uh, and yeah, I I was underwhelmed with it, but that's only because I have been through uh media things for for drawn to life now uh all the way back the first one was all the way back with the runaway railway grand opening and then another one on the night of the grand opening hearing them talk a little bit and then uh and then after that uh at destination d23 had a chance to do a, a private interview with them and then hearing this panel again and you know, I, I think they did an amazing job on the show, but I don't think they have a lot of stories actually about it, or they can't share a lot of the stories of the creative process for for reasons. So uh, it's it, for anyone who wants to know like the background of the show. This that was the best you were going to get with it. That is the information right. they're willing to share, and unless there's something else that they're holding out on a big long book about it or something like that, it's it's the definitive look at at disney and cirque coming together so yeah. they don't even have a program at least maybe they do now but they didn't back then or it's on a ship off long beach or something <laughs> but um and and you think wow you didn't say too much about this it was a 15 minute panel yeah so it, it was not long it was one of the shortest ones yeah. uh oh basically a filler honestly mm-hmm Right, and then next <laughs> one, one that has taken on a life of its own here. Um, Ashley Eckstein hosted the Star Wars uh, Galactic Star Cruiser, which, since this panel, has certainly created a lot of buzz. Maybe not for the right reasons. Um, that, that now she was wearing the Padme cloak, which is available exclusively. On the Galactic Star Cruiser, of course, for sale. And, and I'm sure you were impressed with it. I'm sure you're going to run right out and get that for Kylie. I absolutely am not, but I did have a chance <laughs> to see it up close. And uh, it's, it's a great, it is a great uh, piece of clothing that Disney is doing for it. So I have no doubt that they put their all into the merchandise that you'll find on Star Cruiser. So. No doubt. That might be the highlight <laughs> from what we're hearing. <laughs> now, they said this is an immersive vacation experience unlike anything experienced today. And they had Wendy Anderson, Sarah Thatcher, um, Anisha DeShane from Walt Disney Imagineering, and um, Matt Martin from Lucasfilm. We're all part of this panel. So they say you pull up to the terminal, you're blasted into space on a pod to the Halcyon Cruiser, and you enter a large atrium where you meet the captain, that that blue lady that I I think strongly resembles Kathleen Kennedy, in my opinion. Maybe she's, uh, you know, working overtime. I've seen other people say that, too. Oh, really? And so, um, well, apparently her backstory is she started 30 years ago as a quartermaster and was inspired by a princess turned general to do more for the resistance. So her loyalty is tested when Admiral Croy boards and he notices that wherever the Halcyon goes, a resistance group pops up. 
So he is on a working vacation to get to the bottom of it. So the there's this droid. There's a droid. And he loves people, but he has secrets about the resistance. And he's protected by the cruise director. Now there's a mechanic. These are all the different characters on this cruiser. And the mechanic is trying to get to the resistance on Batu, but may be more helpful on the ship. Then there's the infamous Gaia, that, that wonderful performer, who's there to protect her planet. And she will sing a song about power that is a clue to something. And passengers are a part of the show and the intensity with the, and, and there's, they're interacting with the characters that I just described. Now, since the guests live on the ship, they said it has to be realistic. So the buttons have to make a noise and actually work. And every action the passengers take affects everyone on the ship. So who you choose to make friends with and where you go on the ship determines your experience. So it sounds really exciting, doesn't it, Craig? Sure. <laughs> so I, it, it sounds better than that little commercial they put out for it. Um, you know, every there's a lot of things that can sound really cool in theory. And I think this one does sound very cool. In theory, but they also have to deliver on it, and that's mm-hmm. still yet to be seen. And you know, I I I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but uh, I I don't I don't know I don't know. It's uh, I I am one of those people that I have said that in the beginning when it was first announced, I was on board for it, even if it was expensive. Knowing like I, I still. Hope I get to do it one day because it sounds so cool. And now with each each announcement that has come out over time, it's more like, I don't, why are they choosing to do this? Why are they choosing to do that? And uh, yeah, so I, I I really hope it, it delivers. And I hope we are all left with our, our jaws on the floor and trying to pick them back up and, and cope with how amazing the experience is. Yeah, yeah. Well, they say the guests have a data pad that will propel the storyline. I hope it's not. <laughs> I hope it's not that iPhone thing that that it is. showed in that one video. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's a offshoot of the data pad that you can use inside Galaxy's Edge already, which it's great, but burns through your phone. Oh, okay. I am. Um, I, I I didn't know there was a data pad. Oh yeah, no. Use. Uh, at Galaxy's Edge, there's that was the original way they were going to keep track of your story with Galaxy's Edge. That you would, um, you know, you would you would have it all linked, and of course that would link through your My Disney Experience as well too. And uh, there's uh, tons of games and little like scavenger things you can do all throughout Galaxy's Edge with your data pad. And uh, next time you're walking through, look just start looking at objects. You'll see like little QR codes. Uh, that are oh, they're hidden okay. all around that you interact with. So it's it's very cool technology. But I have been in there on super busy days, and you know you can see the person next to you who has like have their phones out. No one else is using the data pad. There's barely anyone uh, participating in in those fun and games. And I know there are some people out there probably listening right now who say, "No, we we do that every time we go there." Uh, yeah, 
that that's great. I, I hope there are more people out there, but uh, most people, I have a feeling, don't know anything about it at all. And uh, and you know, with with the Star Cruiser, it seems like it's going to be forced on you a little bit more, mm-hmm. and uh, or or you're probably able to ignore it and just do whatever you want at the same yeah. time too. If you're spending six thousand, you should be able to do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I when I was on Smuggler's Run the first time I went through, I played a game on my phone. And Q, yes, he had to locate things, yeah. so that's it. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. I didn't realize it was a data pad. I just thought it was a game. Um, anyway, but you're right. The, the data pad is important because characters may contact you through the data pad on the Halcyon, and it will extend on the bat too, where you may have a mission. That will affect your ship experience. And they said there were already Easter eggs in Galaxy's Edge. For instance, there's an advert for a mechanic on the Halcyon. And there's a radio ad about bookings on the Halcyon, which I didn't notice. Now, Matt, who's in Lucasfilm Storytelling, went through the history of the ship, of the ship lines. It was a Chandra... Chandra Law, and it started centuries before the Star Wars story. And then um, the Star Wars, Re- in, in the Star Wars Republic, there was, there was the um, destination of the Halcyon. That's what I noted down there. And then before the Phantom Menace, the Halcyon was a casino ship run by the Huts. And then Padme and the Halcyon were on the Halcyon during the Clone War. Oh, no, Hayden, I'm sorry, whatever his name was. An- um, Anakin. Anakin. Anakin and no, I wrote Hayden, I think. Padme and, and Anakin were on the Halcyon during the Clone Wars to investigate a plot, apparently. So, um, so after the fall of the Republic, it was owned by the Empire. And after the fall of the Empire, it went back to the cruise lines. And a famous Star Wars couple had their honeymoon on it. And apparently there's going to be a Halcyon Legacy Marvel comic book series about all of this. Because I thought, you know, how they do these backstories and then nobody ever knows about them. So I guess we're going to learn about it in the comic book series. Yeah. And then... <laughs> yeah, so um, Brad from Merchandising, he... um. He said that they looked at, they looked back at the prequel era and and how guests are dressing up and all that. So this is the the finer side of Star Wars life. So the jewelry, dresses, role playing pieces, uh, shirts, jackets. There's layers of customization. So in in the costumes uh, that you can buy. And there's a local line of Halcyon clothing. There's drinkware. There's coasters. There's a Halcyon model kind of stuff that you could get when you go on a cruise ship, you know. Then they had Brian from Culinary. Um, there's going to be food from different planets. Food is at an elevated level of small plates. They said the food may taste familiar but look different. Um I don't know. This food didn't impress me all that much by the photos. But the bubble bread is grilled cheese that you dip in tomato soup. Because they made a big deal out of this bubble bread. Well, it, it, it's adorable and, looking. So I have yeah. I have no concerns in terms of the merchandise or 
or the food. I, I think we know from Ronto Roasters as well as Docking Bay 7 that uh, they, they seem to have a grip on how to make good Star Wars food and okay. make it a little bit more interesting. Um, so I, I think the food, while appears to be weird, I, I think it's all going to be really, really well done. And, you know, the same thing goes for the merchandise. I, I, I have more Galaxy's Edge merchandise than I have other Disney merchandise. And that part of the park's only been open for you know, year and a half at this point. So uh, that's that's a statement of how good it really is or just how much I love Star Wars. Good. Well, they said the color and flavors of the food will be more intense, which makes me wonder, okay, what are they using to color this food? You know, how many C5. of these are colors? How many, how many of these colors are banned in other countries <laughs> they're <Yeah>. using? <laughs> um, anyway, now in Gaia's Club, where the first night of the food is bento food, and they showed, you know, photos of that. The second night is food from around the galaxy. You can have. And this all starts, it all launches on March 1st. So that was that panel on the Galactic Star Cruiser. Of course, since then, there's been, uh, uh, people have not been impressed with the videos that have come out. I forgot to record the, uh, Walt Disney World Parade on December 25th. Uh, as of this recording, it has not popped up on Disney+. Plus. Maybe by the time we air this show, it will be. Um, of course, it's always, in the last few years, it's been less parade and more promotion. And from what I understand, from what I've seen on the interwebs, the one thing they did not promote was the uh, Galactic Star Cruiser. And uh, did you watch the parade, Craig? Yeah. I did not know if okay. if I'm not at my family's house for Christmas anymore. I do not bother with it. So it's just it's it's become insufferable to me. Yeah, I usually record, but I'm still in the middle of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I haven't finished watching that. So um, usually I record it, and then by Easter I've finished watching it. You know, I I I'll watch it like as I do other things. And all that, and it has I love the, the parade portions, but that's the beauty of YouTube is that you can just go and watch videos of the parades of the without parades. needing the commentary and and the sappy family stories that they they throw in to try to you know emotionally guilt you into planning a trip to Walt Disney World. <laughs> well, and yeah, the parade portion now is only like fifteen minutes of the two hour extravaganza. So, yeah, anyway. Well, that was that. That was the end of that panel. So, we're really looking forward to hearing uh, how much folks enjoy um, the Star Cruiser. Yep. In there. I, I hope I get the chance to do it. And I, you know, that's still a question in my mind at this point of whether or not I'll be able to get to do it. But anyone who has it booked, I, I literally hope they enjoy it so much. And I cannot wait to hear I do too. all about it. I do hope this is a success because I, I you know, I want Star Wars fans. If you're a Star Wars fan, I really hope this is just a new level of ex- a Star Wars experience. I mean, I, I don't, I don't root for things like this to fail. No, no I didn't. So Neither I'm do just I. hoping. Yeah, I'm just hoping Disney marketing is just as as they have with a lot of stuff the last couple of years. I'm just hoping that they've just dropped the ball. Yeah, and it. I. It, because I don't want this to fail because 
if it fails, that also gives them the out of saying, well, we shouldn't try anything that we're out of our comfort zone with ever again. It's, it gives them, it gives them an option to play it safe. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as you can look through the history of the Walt Disney Company, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a benefit to playing it safe, but look at what we have because there was creative people who took a chance. Uh, yes. Yeah. No, I agree. On. So I want it to succeed only, only for that reason. And then if it's, if it's one of those things where it's only good for Star Wars fans, that's that's fine as long as it's a good experience. But if it ends up being perfect for everyone and anyone who's even a Star Wars fan can go on and enjoy it and and have their minds blown, then that's that's the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I, I want it to do well. I also want it to do well because then I'm hoping Paramount Studios will say, hey, Maybe we should make a Star Trek experience. <laughs> I mean, at this point, and I would be there for that. <laughs> at this point, they're making more Star Wars or sorry, Star Trek material than they are Star Wars. So it's uh, one day someone's got to get on that bandwagon again with Star Trek and real life experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. So keeping our fingers crossed for for the voyage of the Halcyon there so that it's, it's successful. Yes. The the next panel was the Magical World of Entertainment for Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. And they they had the they said the Walt Disney World ambassadors um started in live entertainment. So they started out with a great performance by the Dapper Dance. Uh, they sang The Magic is Calling Us. And then um you might have to help me with this name. Uh, Tom Vizana? Yeah, Viz- Vizana. Okay, uh, he was the creative director for Disney Live Entertainment. For and then they talked about a lot of the entertainment, most of which is already we've had already seen at this point. Animal Kingdom, it was Disney Kite Tales celebrating the fun and beauty of kites. The Jungle Book, Lion King, and and um, a world beat score. I guess they were talking about and then and we talked about all these shows in previous episodes of Connecting with Walt. Um, Epcot is harmonious. They said it's one of the largest nighttime shows for a Disney park. Uh, connections of nations through Disney songs set in countries, languages, and cultures. There are 12 languages in it. And then there was um, Magic Kingdom, the enchantment fireworks show characters journey to discover through that their dreams come true and the magic is in all of us and it's narrated by angela bassett there's a new song you are the magic produced and composed by philip lawrence and he was in the festival of the lion king and has won eight grammys so the funny thing is i they're saying this was all for um Walt Disney's 50th anniversary, but none of these, as we observed when we talked about these shows, really celebrate Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. No. These are just shows that were launched in the year of the 50th anniversary. And I think people just need to understand that, and that will lessen your disappointment. Yeah. (laughs) Still still to this day. I mean, I still hear people talking about it now uh, over, you know, we're all of october november december gone so three months into the celebration and people still you know really not being able to let it go that that it doesn't celebrate walt disney world but it's 
as soon as you breathe and say, yes, that's what they should have done. But what it was instead were here, the Walt Disney Company is giving gifts of new entertainment to Walt Disney World. That's it. Not about the 50th, not about the history, just giving them gifts of new entertainment. Then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, that's not what I want, but that makes it better. Like, just Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's not like Disneyland's 50th where the shows did celebrate and let's its breathe. anniversary. It's, just, it's, it's just different. It's just Disney. It's just like, we all love it. It's, it's literally, this is our job right now to do this. But at the end of the day, there are more important things out there than them not commemorating Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary the way that we want it to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's always the 60th. <laughs> um, anyway, um, then they talked about the beacons of magic in all the parks. I didn't realize they, they were called beacons of magic until this panel the magic kingdom the castle glistens with pixie dust at epcot of course spaceship earth glistens both of these are beautifully done i think the other two i've not seen yet disney hollywood studios the hollywood hotel hollywood tower hotel uh it glistens with hollywood magic what is that craig what is hollywood magic so it's (laughs) Uh, the best way to describe it is it basically like neon colors that really outline the Hollywood Tower Hotel. And then like on the very top floor, like it lights up and you can see people dancing inside the tip top club. Uh, it's it's oh. actually really it's really well done. I, I was very hard on this beacon of magic leading up to it because they weren't really like giving any information. They were making such a big deal about pixie dust on cinderella castle and the lights at on uh, epcot and you know tree of life basically like upgrading their their awakenings but this was the one where it's like and then hollywood tower hotel will be a beacon of magic uh but it, it's actually it's actually pretty pretty cool i'll look forward to seeing that my next trip there and then mad animal kingdom tree of life glows with fireflies i've seen the video of it's, and it looks pretty nice. Yeah, it, it's just the the next step of uh, the next step of the Tree of Life Awakenings with a, a little bit more shimmer to it. Mm-hmm. But I, I personally, I, I think Magic Kingdoms is the weakest with it. I think a lot of the effects you don't you don't really see it that well unless you're very close to the castle. Whereas the other ones, like yeah, you can you can get the idea from further away with it. But you know, I think. Simple, simple additions to the parks at nighttime that add a little bit of extra magic. So, yeah. big thumbs up in my book. That's why I always loved, like, when I was a boy, I loved Disneyland at night. Um, and part of it was only because of the twinkling lights yep. in the trees and all that. I just thought that was so magical. I don't know why. I don't know if it harkens me back to Christmas and my memories of the lights in our tree, whatever, but... I am a sucker for twinkling lights on stuff, I guess. I don't know. Yep, me too. It's just yeah. different. Hits differently. Yeah. Now, uh, some of the other stuff for the 50th in entertainment. Uh, the characters with the iridescent uh, glow, you know, and I guess their costumes and things. And they're doing that at all the parks around the world. That just seems to be a thing for the anniversary, the iridescent costumes and this stuff. And the electrical water pageant has a 50th anniversary overlay. And then uh, Mickey Mouse in Town Square. Um, oh, they're talking about bringing back characters. Um, princesses in Fairy Tale Hall. The Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular r- returning. 
that people were really excited about that. I'd be excited if they like changed up the show a little. So yeah, um, and they they didn't. They just, I mean, they did change it, but they just changed it to uh, to be able to run with the circumstances that Disney performers still have to deal with right now. So right, yeah, not changed um, it in a positive way. Like let's let's freshen it up. Let's let's change the storyline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're reimagining um, Nemo the musical, and Jason Robinson's the producer. It announced it's going to have a new name, Finding Nemo, the Big Blue and Beyond. And it's going to be in the Finding Dory timeline. So in this show, we're sitting in the Marine um, Institute, where we see the characters who escape from the dentist office. And this will be in um, 2022. Yeah, this this is where the the panel got exciting because they finally got the stuff where like you know we knew that Finding Nemo the musical was changing, but we actually started getting uh, to announcements where there was information that we haven't heard before, mm-hmm. and there was a really funny moment with Tom before. If I'm remembering this being the exact moment, uh, you know, he had the two ambassadors with him to start off and talk about the 50th anniversary, and then he shooed them off stage at this part and like he just said it in the perfect way i've been watching him now at these events and stuff for years and he is so funny he's just like oh thank goodness i thought they would never leave and it just like it was he is he is a great presenter so if you Mm -hmm. ever have the chance to hear him speak i absolutely would but um yeah but uh, you know i i think i think it's a benefit for finding Nemo though overall so i i look forward to seeing how they bring in the old favorite songs and mix them with uh, with a little bit new freshness to it. So hopefully it'll be good. Good, good. Yeah, and then Fantasmic, they said they're replacing a segment with characters who have never been in the show that will make you tingle with joy and have tears. And there'll be water effects, gymnastics, and it will fill you with hope. Any guesses on, on what this is, Craig? Or have there been any announcements since then? Uh, no announcements since then, or at least now, too, since we're recording. But who knows? Any Anything can come out at any point in time here. But uh, I, you know, I, I think I've said on this show before, and I've said it in other places, I, I don't see how Pocahontas survives. Oh, that's, that can't survive, um, no. So I think that is the sequence that is going, without a doubt. And uh, I, I personally, I believe that... It's whatever section replaces that. I think there's going to be Moana involved. Like I think, oh yes, I think Moana could have taken that whole segment over. Um, There's enough there to work with the characters and the fact that she literally rides on a raft for a lot of the movie. Um, There's just enough there that that entire sequence could be hers. But I've also heard other people suggest, yeah, it could be be anything that's related to water. It yeah. could have, like, it could be Ryan the Last Dragon, it, it, which yeah. was not my favorite. But, and yeah. um, no, that, Luca, yep, which yep. was not one of your favorites. No, but uh, that's uh, that's where that's where I've heard it too. Like, why why limit it to one thing when you can get a bunch of different ones that all can revolve around that water theme to it? So I mm-hmm. I, I, I have, honestly I have no idea what they'll actually throw together with that part, but I am confident that it will not be Pocahontas returning. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'll try to throw in Kanto in there since that was their newest one that they thought was going to be a big hit. 
Yeah, they already started working on that. Yeah, so, they might. I knows? mean, it's uh, theatrically and not necessarily a massive hit, but I'll tell you what, I there's not a day that goes by that my social media doesn't have someone pop up who just watched it for the the first time and absolutely loved it. So, yep, I've seen that too. It's gaining yeah. it's gaining a lot of steam in terms of. Uh, terms of uh you know the fandoms out there so it feels very mm-hmm. much like what happened with tangled that it, it ended up becoming a, a huge favorite as more people got to discover it yeah yeah and i love tangled so yeah and then they said disney on broadway will restart and then unfortunately it shut down again <laughs> due to the omicron variant so hopefully it'll get uh, maybe as of maybe by the time this airs it's back up and running again so and then they said a Mickey's Royal Friendship Fair, which I have no idea what that is. Is that a show? Yeah, that's the name of the Castle Stage show. Oh, I didn't. I never. I didn't know it had a name. Okay. Um. Well, Tara Anderson, the show director, came out and she said it will have a new name with the new fiftieth overlay. It's going to be Mickey's Magical Friendship Fair, and there's going to be a new opening and closing, uh, new performers' costumes, new characters and their iridescent costumes. Um, anyway, and it's the the new sort of song is where the magic feels like home. Yeah. So I, I, I like that with this show, they change it up seasonally. So this feels mm-hmm. like it's just going to be another, you know, more or less just another seasonal change to it with the season right now being the 50th anniversary. But I, I really wish I could have been in the room where they brain, uh, you know, where they brainstormed on this one. Like, we got to change up the show. What do we do? Someone said, you know what? Let's change the name from Mickey's Royal Friendship Fair to Mickey's Magical Friendship Fair. Genius. Let's let's roll with it. Like, I, I, I don't get it at all. I just don't get it. But they're going to be able to build hype on it now. It's like, nope, it's not just royal anymore. Now it's magical. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but um, well, magical is like the big buzzword right now for this um anyway they said cavalcades are here to stay people cheered for that they're going to have a disney adventure friends cavalcade with disney pixar characters be the most characters in a cavalcade that's in early 2022 and i thought well what about the parades and then immediately they said the parade disney festival of fantasy parade is returning and then they brought out some of the parade characters in their costumes yeah and all that yeah and with the uh with the disney adventure friends cavalcade i have a feeling that you know in terms of cavalcades as as it goes i think this is going to be uh you know as as um festival of fantasy returns i think this will be the one cavalcade that happens and um it'd be maybe like the replacement to move it shake it whatever it's called play it Oh, all that okay. And kind of be like that, but we'll have to wait and see. Okay. Sounds good. And then the Disneyland Resort Ambassadors were introduced. They introduced the next panel, and they gushed over fans and the do-it-yourself Disney projects fans have created. And there was a montage of all that. And then Stephanie, what's the name? I can't even read my writing. Jimenez, Jimenez, maybe it was Jimenez, I don't know, and Amy Young from Walt Disney Imagineering, they talked about the Disney paper parks. 
I didn't know these little projects were even available. Um, what they were, they're on the Disney Parks blog, and um, they showed those. And then in one of the archive exhibits or something, there was a little table where you could work on these, and they actually had some printed out. And it's it's like different buildings and attractions and all that where you can color them and cut them out and put them together and all that. And they looked really cool. Yeah, I, re- I remember when it w- originally uh, uh, started during the pandemic, and it's one of those projects that I didn't do. But uh, during the final party night uh, for the season streamings, they had them sitting out like, uh, you know, pre-printed ones of the Home Alone, the McAllister's house. So oh. I, I grabbed one of those that I never did. But next uh, year, I, gr- I grabbed the ones that they had out. Um, I have a set of those. Then they did trivia, a trivia contest, the Art and Flair Vault Disney World. I did a little better in this one. I was 75 out of 1,610. So not, I felt a little better about that. The next one was uh, discovering the, um, the art and imagery of Walt Disney World. So they had, uh, Peggy, oh gosh, Ferris or something like that. Yeah, Ferris. She yes. said Disney Disneyland opened when she was eight. And ten years later, she was an attraction hostess in Fantasyland. And she was invited to the press conference for Disney World at the time, it was called, and wanted to be a part of it. So she worked at the Contemporary and then joined WED, Walt Disney, um, of course, Imagineering, planning um, the planning conferences for Epcot and she was uh she was another one of the women of imagineering and so she was uh she was um let's see Gary also came out and I didn't catch his last name he was an attractions host at Magic Kingdom and Epcot and he became a producer of collections for Walt Disney Imagineering I believe that and- was Gary Landrum Gary Landrum, thank you. you. Hopefully you have the last names for some of these other people. I do. Then there was Stacy. Stacy Schaff. Thank you. And she worked at the Magic Kingdom for the 25th anniversary on Main Street and at the Epcot um, Outreach Center. She's a librarian for Walt Disney Imagineering in Florida, and she does um, research for Walt Disney Imagineering. And then there was Mike. I believe Pucker, but I'm not sure. Okay, because they didn't always display the names, or they did it so fast I couldn't write them all down. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was the lead photographer for Walt Disney Imagineering. He started out at Disneyland as a busboy at the French Market, and then an attractions host, and he worked in archives, um, photographic collections, and now he is in um, Walt Disney Imagineering um, photographing art. And then there was, um, each talked, oh, and Lindsay was, um, the host for this. Do you have Lindsay's name? Uh, that <laughs> I do not have it because I don't yeah. believe they displayed her name on there. No, I didn't think they did. Each talked about their favorite impressions of, of Walt Disney World art. So for Peggy, uh, the, um, she said at the press conference there was a tent and it had concept art in it. And so of, of Disney World. And so that's what she enjoyed. Gary, he thought that he, they displayed the painting of, um, the, of President Lincoln deep in thought. And that's displayed, I know, at great moments with Mr. Lincoln. 
that's one that's that's part of the um, show. Stacy, she um, liked Mary Blair paintings for the Contemporary Hotel murals and um, photos of figurines of the Outer Rim Lounge on the um, fourth floor of the hotel that used to be there. And then Peggy, uh, she liked the cover of the Walt Disney World preview book of the Seven Seas Lagoon showing the size of Walt Disney World <laughs> compared to Disneyland. And Gary liked the concept art of the Polynesian Resort with the large center building. And it was sort of the, uh, sort of, it was, uh, sort of an imagery of a mountain is what that center building was supposed to be. And then they shared Herb Ryman's pencil sketch of the castle with the, uh, with a glockenspiel above the entrance. That would have been cool if they had done that. And then the opening day ceremony, Roy was insistent that Mickey Mouse was there because he was a representative of Walt. We've talked about that before. And then they also showed the sharing the magic. Um, Roy, uh, the statue of Roy and Minnie in Town Square. It's based on the photo shoot with um, Mickey and Blaine, uh, with um, Roy and Mickey. And Blake Gibson showed... um, that Walt uh, supported Roy by having him um, support Minnie's hand. So, anyway, and then, um, let's see, showed Mary Blair's concept art for Thunder Mesa and yeah. the Western River exp- ex- 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 Expedition. Expedition. <laughs> that, was really, that was really good. Yeah, no, that artwork was incredible. Um, I... It just, I mean, it oozed Mary Blair because it was her, but uh, a different style uh, than, you know, you're used to seeing with her artwork. So, but still like very reminiscent also to the mural and contemporary and stuff. I, oh, I, I, I still have the pictures of it on my phone and I look at it every now and then because it just impresses me so much. Yeah. Yeah. And in the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, they said it's a painting of all four renditions of the attraction around the world. And then they talked about, uh, then they talked about Dr. Albert Falls and the granddaughter, Alberta Falls, who ran the Skipper's Canteen. And they showed then the design elevation of the Haunted Mansion into the Gothic Mansion of today over at Walt Disney World. They showed Dorothea Redmond's sketches of Cinderella murals that are in the breezeway there and how they translated into the actual murals. I thought that was stunning how yeah. they did that. Okay. And they showed an early model of Epcot center and how Marty Scalar held uh, conferences with companies in order to, uh, and industry and with industry leaders to develop the park. And then they showed art of spaceship earth scenes in there and the models of the land pavilion and the concept art, which would have been very cool if they had um, built that. So they showed Horizons concept art and photos of Bob um, McCall's prologue and the promise, including one one of him painting it, which yeah. gives you an idea how big it was. That massive. It was yeah. so like he was on a uh, like a, a forklift, uh, not a forklift, like a, a high cherry picker. Kind of like mm-hmm. that. It's incredible. Yeah. Now they said future. They said originally the concept was was that Future World was at Epcot, and World Showcase was over where the Ticket and Transportation Center is today. 
And it did not include the um, court of flags seen in the concept art because Marty Sklar said it could be divisive. Um, d- divisive. And so World Showcase was about culture. So the flags were um, dropped yeah. from that. And then they talked about, uh, let's see, they, um, oh gosh, at, at the, um, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, they said are notes from the Imagineers who created it. They talked about that. Um, the Tree of Life concept art they showed, uh, in the dead roots of the tree at its base are dinosaurs. And then, so it starts with the dinosaurs and then works its way up. And then Nicole Armitage, she painted signs at Animal Kingdom, um, for Pete Safari. And, uh, so she, let's see, and a lot, and she did this alongside her father. And they also did the spotting guides that are on the trails. And also, she painted a piece for the flight of the Avatar as well, and they showed all of that. And then finally, that was the end of that one. So it was very visual. Yeah, and no, then, it was it was very visual, and it was very hard to keep up with um, mm-hmm. along along the way. And uh, but there was there was a lot of cool stuff in it, like the the photographer um, that works for Imagineering like he they he talked a little bit about his process and like some of the artwork that we saw was the first time that you know obviously they always bring stuff out that hasn't been seen before but some of it it was like the first time that they've gone back and even remastered it and they showed like one photo of like kind of his process of uh of scanning photographing uh taking photos of some of the imagery so they can make these high resolution uh high resolution images that look good when they're showing it on on these giant screens inside the convention center so uh it was really fascinating and and a lot of uh a lot of really cool Mary Blair artwork was mm-hmm. was on this one uh on this panel too like my favorite one came at the end where there was like the couch that Mary Blair drew that was a it was a couch a sofa but in the shape of a couch and um it was like it just it, it showed off her quirky side in that way too so very it visual it was a couch in the shape of a couch yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember that i don't i don't know i don't think so Oh, that see that's my biggest takeaway was how they actually blow up these photos to make them more high resolution and then a couch that's a cow <laughs> and a couch <laughs> oh a cow a cow, cow. okay yeah cow i thought you couch. said a couch in the shape of a couch i thought i don't remember that i remember the cow in the shape of a couch yeah yes. there was okay. there was a couple there was then like with the couch then there was like also an end table if i'm re- remembering correctly mm-hmm. and then like another another one but uh very 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 nerdy stuff to say the least yeah and then the next one was um walt's 80s world and this is they had these little um sort of disney through the decades things so we're in the 80s and brett iwin the official voice of mickey mouse and ashley Eckstein was back and they talked about and they were of course in costumes from the 80s and they talked about the totally um mini show that I know Craig was a, a one of your favorites, and then they talked. They showed a lot of the celebrities who visited 
Walt Disney World, and then its 15th anniversary. They talked about some of the musical acts in there. But, of course, the big things were the opening of Epcot Center, of Disney MGM Studios, Typhoon Lagoon, and Pleasure Island. And then they did a a cast member appreciation, too. So that was a cute little they, thing yeah they, these were all good we didn't we during the last episode we kind of skipped over the walt 70s world when they did that one um but the best part of these little things you know you they saw photos and kind of took you through the decade but uh, the best part of them was they would show these small clips of of greater sequences so that way it gave you some homework on like okay after i'm out of here i need to go on youtube and find the longer version of this and what special it came from and such. So uh, I, I liked them for that reason. It was kind of like, oh, this gives me a taste of what I need to, to look out for in the future in terms of uh, my my entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, then they, the next one was the, uh, the Park Stars of Walt Disney World. This was Diana Wills and Jason Brandt from Walt Disney Imagineering. And these were characters created for Walt Disney Imagineering. So Diana dressed as Miss Adventure Falls, of course, from the Society of Explorers and Adventurers um, Club. And Jason dressed as the fisherman character from If You Had Wings. Those are their favorite characters. Here's the photo that he showed to prove what he was, was yeah. I thought hilarious. Uh, yeah, uh, if and, I, that's... This one was a fun one because Jason Grant is he is a goofball uh, Mm -hmm. as in in all senses of the terms. So uh, this this was a very fun panel. (laughs) Yeah. So they said Imagineering starts with a setting, a premise and characters. For instance, the case study of Liberty Square is the setting, a premise, a haunted house and the characters 999 happy haunts. So they said, what is, what's the roles of Walt Disney World stars? Well, the original storyteller, teller, they said, was Chief Umkade. What was that? Umbade. 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 On Spaceship Earth. He tells the story of the clan with this cave painting. And it, it, he got the name Chief Umbade because that's what he says. Umbade. Yeah, and just and, keeps repeating it uh, in the entire sequence of it. So and, that name stuck. Right. And and they didn't realize that everybody was calling him Chief Umade in Walt Disney Imagineering. And then and that that's how and then they, when they started talking about it, the na- yeah, that's how the name stuck. He got that name unofficially, I guess. Then they said that there's a punchline character. That's the snoozing monk. You have a hardworking monk on one side, and then you have the snoozing monk on the other. And then in the next scene, you have the Gutenberg press that sort of replaced the monks. So um, then you have the entertainer, and that's Sunny Eclipse, to establish the comic, um, <clears throat> sort of the co- cosmic rays as a place to eat in the galaxy. And then you have sort of the the missing, the, the like the abracadabra, the secret club at Boardwalk for uh, magicians, and they all disappeared. So lots of there's lots though of residual magic and props left behind. So on the way to the restroom, wave at the magic mirror. They said, and you can hear the um, old magic show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
too. And that, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, and then they have, then there's the mentor and that's Dreamfinder. He was kind, gentle, patient, understanding, encouraging to figment, um, like a, like a favorite teacher. And then they showed the original concept of the land pavilion with that, that becomes, it had characters. Uh, it, there was the land keeper from, um, the dis- from this discovery land of yep. the professional Ma- professor, professor Marvel that we talked about. And he became, um, dream finder from that old Disneyland concept that we had, professor Marvel. Then there's the, me- we have the mentor. And we have the mentee, and that's Figment. He represents the mind and creativity of Walt Disney as the mascot of Epcot. So he said, uh, everyone, he says, is, uh, oh, and then we got a reprint of the first edition of the Figment um, comic book. I guess you'd call it a comic book. With, uh, but it was with uh, the re, with, but they reimagined, um, the cover and it's, uh, with Herb Ryman's art of Dreamfinder and Figment. So that was nice because I don't have the individual yeah. comic books. I have the hard cover. Yeah. One yeah. that has the collection of them. So that was nice. So, um, then they talked about Legends of the Deep, like the sea serpent from the electrical water pageant or the topiary serpent at the Magic Kingdom. And then the world, then in World of Motion, there was the sea serpent in the seafaring scene that was sort of a comedy bit. Exactly. In that one. A, a lot of sea serpents. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're going to have the sea serpent at Disneyland in front of It's a Small World, a topiary. Um, then there's the sidekick, because they said not all are stars. But they are important. Like in the Barnstormer, um, Goofy's sidekick, um, Peanut the monkey. Which I did not realize that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, then there's the team leader. So in Kitchen Cabaret, there's Bonnie Appetit. And then in Food Rocks, there's the food rapper. He's the leader of Food Rocks. Then this is where they got into the battle of the food bands. And they had a poster of this. And this was funny. And then, of course, there was merchandise in in Mickey's of Glendale. Oh, yeah. The next day. It, it was, uh, no, right after that <laughs> event Oh, happened. it was right after it? Yeah. Okay. I had to go in to, to buy something uh, for a friend. And, like, the line was super long. Like, I was in the panel, so I thought they were joking because uh, both Jason and uh, the her name slips to my mind now with it, they both, you know, they both were wearing these Battle of the Band shirts. Or no, sorry, he was only wearing it. Only he pulled off his fisherman outfit mm-hmm. and he's wearing this Battle of the Band shirt. And, you know, and then they did it applause for which which one you like more. And. Then they said, like, okay, and this will be for sale at Mickey of Glendale's right after. And I thought it was a complete joke. Like, yeah, of, of course, of course, it'll be on sale right after. Uh, and I get in this line, I'm like, why is it so long? And finally snake my way through there. And of course, they were selling it inside the t shirt, posters, and pins. And that's what everyone is going for the limited edition pins with it. And 
you've you've got to be you've got to be kidding me and then i almost got <laughs> caught up in the moment like do i need to get something with it i like kitchen cabaret and food rocks but then i was like never gonna hang up the poster and i will never wear the shirt so yeah i, I didn't get anything <laughs> no then they talked another character another star is the nosy neighbor like duncan at typhoon lagoon at misadventure falls he lives in the hull of the broken ship and collects the things he finds and then there's the salesman, and that's um, Sir of Excess Tech at Alien Encounter. Oh, may he rest in peace. He uh, scorches Skippy when demonstrating the transporter technology. Yeah. And then they gave an honorable mention to the salesman in World of Motion, the used chariot salesman. Yeah. 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 Then there's the Time Travelers, the Carousel of Progress family. They made the jump over to Epcot Center and Horizons, living in in the space, sea, and desert. So, and then there's the Odd Couple. In Horizons, there was the Robo Couple, the ro- the um the the robot chef who is keep who was a disaster, and then there was the robot butler keeping everything clean. And they they thought there was a potential Disney Plus show with these two. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, and then then there's the um the good boys and girls. So in Horizons, they had more dogs than any other attractions. So and Space Two Twenty, you'll see a dog walker in space, which is a homage to Horizon scene. So if you want to know what that scene is, you have to go back and listen to our episodes on Horizons. Where we talk about exactly. that scene. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then the original Walt Disney World Park star, and that is the Orange Bird, who's created before the park opened. And he they said he's gonna get his own golden book in January. Yep. I think I pre ordered it. So I'm not sure, but I think I did. Always nice when Orange Bird gets some love. Yeah. But- then it then it was quiz time. And it said, so they had which park star had the coolest job and the, and the, um, longest name. Was it the longest name or lamest name? And it was Mr. Johnson in Miss Mission to Mars. So, and then they said, who was the cutest and the cheesiest? And they said, Chubby Cheddar, um, from Food Rocks. Which park star is the, um, was it the chubiest? Chubiest. This was Chuby the bird in uh, in um, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Yeah. The little bird at the end there. The, that's what the scene that they showed up there. Who's a good boy and a time traveler? Rover and Carousel of Progress. Although originally the dog had a different name in every scene. In the original version. And then he said, who is the hungriest? And they said, us. <laughs> That's right. Okay. I was like, I don't remember any of this that just hap- that you're talking about, but I remember that last part. Yeah. Then the Michael Vargo came out and he just sort of wrapped it up for the day and all that and sent everybody off for dinner. And then so we had the evening break. And then something everybody was really looking forward to, because as we mentioned in the previous episode on this, um, you know, we all got to see on Friday a sneak preview of Encanto. And usually there is a musical performance or something at these. And so when it said 
the magical musical world of Encanto. Craig, what did you think this was going to be? <laughs> well, so the tough part was at first the hopes were that, you know, when they did it for Mary Poppins Returns, uh, they had, um, you know, they had, uh, I can't think of their names, but the, the two, the Mark Shaman and mm-hmm. the, the guy who wrote the music. And at that point, we hadn't seen the movie yet. It hadn't come out and still was weeks away from it. But they came out and they literally played through a lot of the songs and kind of gave us that first preview and like what, what the setup was for them. So we get an idea of it. And so, you know, I'll, the expectation for this one was well okay we know Lynn Manuel Miranda wrote the wrote the lyrics and in the music and then uh the score was done by another person and I apologize cuz I can't remember her name off the top of my head but um it, it expected something along the same lines with that but then on day 1 we are told very quickly Absolutely not. Lynn Manuel and Miranda is not here, so do not expect anything like that. But it's still going to be very entertaining, and there will be a video uh, of them at the very least. And so I knew from that second to uh, manage my expectations on it. But that's what I did expect uh, previous to that knowledge that he wasn't going to be there. I didn't expect him to be there, but I expected there to be music. In some form. Yeah. <laughs> I was I I was disappointed that there was not. So Yeah, and, it's and I mean just to kind of rip off the band aid with it, it basically we all watched the movie the day before and then we essentially rewatched over half of the movie, but pretty much just the musical portions and then in between was kind of uh clips of uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and then Stephanie uh, Beatriz, uh, who plays Mirabelle. Mirabelle? Is that her name? I haven't watched mm-hmm. it since Yeah, then. Mirabelle. Um, but it just was kind of them, like, talking about their process, and they only got of, like, everyone who sings on that cast, they were only able to get one person to actually show up for it, and uh, she was so energetic, and oh, was she was ever? Pleasure. <laughs> she was a pleasure yeah. to watch. Mm-hmm. I just wish they could have given her more to do. Like, um, it was, yeah, it was not, um, it, it was not on the same level as the the night that we all got to see. Uh, you know, we all got to hear the Mary Poppins Returns music uh, the couple years prior to it. And I think the Destination D prior to that one, it was where they surprised everyone and had the the beachfront movie of Moana for the mm-hmm. first time. So this one felt like it felt like an, uh, a balloon being deflated almost. Yeah, yeah. I would. I, I, I thought it would at least have the performers sing or do do something. I don't know. But anyway, well, Rolando Ramos Ramos was the host, and I have no idea who he is because uh, they never said who he was. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think they did explain it, but I don't have any memory of it. I, I don't think they did, <laughs> or, or I missed it because I, I would have noted what he was, who he was. Okay. Anyway, because I have notes for everybody else. Then they have Matt Walker. He's the current um, uh, senior vice president of music for um, 
Walt Disney Productions and Pixar, um, for anim- and for animation and Disney and project, Disney parks and projects and all of that. Then they, sh- this is the 60th animated feature in Kanto for, um, Disney. So they did a sizzle reel of the title cards for all 60 films. And they said Encanto was a huge team effort. Um, Byron Howard and Jared Bush were the director and writer. Um, Clarice Castro-Smith was co-director and writer. So Jared worked with Lin-Manuel on Moana. And Lin-Manuel uh, is all about evolving the musicals and explained what they had in common. And it was family with all its um, joy and sort of and and i can't even read what i wrote here so Mm. sort of it's joy and its complexities that's what it is and asked um how well do we know our own families how well do they know us uh we need the we need the tools of um perspective and understanding and so this is what the story of Encanto um, centered on. So they chose the crossroads of Latin America for the setting, um, Colombia. And Byron, Jared, and um, Lynn Manuel went uh, on a trip to Colombia and they showed a short home movie of that and them exploring and frolicking and having fun and all that. And they said, um, and Encantos are communities where realistic magic happens. And then, uh, and then they said, um, they, they worked together. They put together a Columbia Cultural Trust to, uh, of musicians and storytellers and journalists and anthropologists to work on the film. And then they opened it up to anyone in the studio who wanted to work on it. And they, and they called it this group La Familia, who worked on all the story versions of Encanto. And so they, the, so the concept was every child has a gift and they, let's see, the, they had the, um, they, they had the, the, uh, you know, the shy one who talks to animals, the person who sees the cup only half full. You know, they said every family, you know, has these kind of people in it. And then they said the house has its own magic and, but it's a bit sassy. So they had a recorded interview with Lynn Manuel and he tried to, um, find the pulse of the characters and how, how each is different. And he uses a different, um, sort of interest to convey the, these pulses and how they change and combine. And he said that's the fun of building a score and creating the song. And then they had uh, the composer Germain Francis Franco, who worked on Coco. And so he joined the project a year ago, and then they found the sound was a process of elimination. And they used Colombian instruments and um, specific guitars. Yeah, I do want to point out, uh, out of respect, Germain Franco is a female. So, Oh, okay, thank you. Okay. And so, anyway, and then the film starts with a piece called the Encanto theme, and it just starts simply, and it's it, it's heard during key moments of the film. And then the next clip they showed a day in the life, and it where they're all. Uh, it's a I wrote the word a cumbia, I think. 
Is that how you pronounce it? They're getting ready for a festival, a celebration, I should say. Yes. And then, and what it is, is it's Antonio, a little boy's gifting ceremony. And he's the, he's the, he's the shy one who, who likes animals in this story. Oh, spoiler alert, gang, if you haven't seen the film. It's on Disney+. Plus. Um, so the first time we see, we see a family member getting a gift, and it starts with tension, and there and they talk about how there's Afro-Columbian rhythms, and there's a Colombian choir, and they'd had to do this all over Zoom, which always amazes me that they got the quality of sound over Zoom, you know, because you've heard you know we've heard this of several films during the pandemic how everything was done over zoom and that is just boggles my mind and then then there's a party celebrating life and family and the music is mixing um african and jazz rhythm rhythm and jermaine um oh she played the marimba in this one and and i think wasn't it especially made marimba for this didn't it, it get into that, I think? It might have been. Honestly, I, I blocked out most of this in my memory <laughs> and moved on to to allow other tidbits and fun facts into it. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a longer version of this song on the soundtrack. And then things change for Maribel, and she decides to protect the family. And so she gets into Bruno's tower. And Bruno is... Uh, sort of the estranged member of the family that everybody has, you know, too. So the music changes. There's horns and flutes, and the music is more intense. And then there's dinners with the, is it, what's the name, the Guzmans, I think? And this is tricky because there's a lot of dialogue. So they said it starts out with a string quartet, but then it goes all wonky. And um, they say, and talk, they talked about how the music has a lot of heart. It brings out painful moments, um, especially the scene between Maribel and Abuela. is It's a scene of forgiveness. And then they have, um, let's see, um, oh my gosh, there's a a magical cassetta is formed twice, and the second time I don't even know what that means. And the second time, there's lots of hope. And they said they worked with different instruments and a choir. No, I don't know. Can you illuminate on what I jotted down here, Greg? Oh, you are the only part of this panel that I truly remember, besides the ones that I've already mentioned, with the with Lin Manuel and and Stephanie doing their little recorded parts. Uh, the only thing I remember is when they showed the uh, the sequence of uh, the the people doing the choreography and then how the animators had to translate that to, to real life to help them. And even then I'm like, well, that's not really anything new. It's Disney Mm -hmm. animation has been doing that since the beginning. They've been using real models and trying to translate that through animation. So, Oh, and it's magical casita. So it's the magical house. A a house. Casita is formed (laughs) twice. Because I saw, oh, there's a little dot floating way up there. 
for the eye. And that is also true uh, in the yeah. movie. So again, yeah. spoiler, it's been out yes. on Disney Plus. If you haven't watched yeah. it, you're not going to. Yeah, the house is formed twice. And the second time, it's with a lot of hope. And then that's when they use different instruments in a choir. Yeah. Then they got into the individual songs. The Familia Madrigal, um, Lynn wanted to introduce all the characters. And he was inspired by the Beauty and the Beast opening for that one. But uh, when I watch this on Disney+, Plus, I'm going to have to turn on the um, closed captions because I have listened to this a couple of times and it is so hard for me to catch all the words because the, the, the singing is so fast. I am amazed how they got through this. Yeah. I, I'm also so. like, I don't, I don't quite understand where I, I don't get the, uh, the reference to Beauty and the Beast. In this, like, I see more of his own work with In the Heights and in the actual <laughs> song agree. In the Heights, the first song where every character is introduced by coming into the the uh, the convenience store and you get their backstory with it. I felt like it was more similar to that, but you know what? Let's let's keep the Disney connection. Yeah, and- I think the song style is much more like In the Heights. Agree. Then yeah. I think, but maybe Beauty and the Beast, where she is walking through the town and introducing the baker, and she points out like three know, people. That. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was. Well, that stretch. inspired him. That inspired him to ride in the heights, and 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 this. <laughs> okay, then there's the Columbia Encanto. And this is a party song with a love letter to the house and to Columbia, and that song was released with the trailer. And then um, Waiting for a Miracle is a contrast to the Columbia Encanto. Maribel's um, innermost feeling showing she is out of sync with the family. And the animation shows that very well as well. Then there is, uh, then there's Louisa and she's Maribel's older sister and her gift is she is super strong and everyone relies on her. Everyone expects her to carry their burdens. And this is common to older siblings. And so the surface pressure is her song and where she's cool on the surface, but then she taught, she sings about how much she longs to relax. And to be vulnerable underneath. And then she snaps back because she's needed in there. And then this is where they had um, Jessica, is it, oh gosh, Darrow, the voice of Louisa. And she said that the audition process took a while. She got the call during the height of the pandemic and that Louisa is sort of the rod of the family. And she, she sort of represents it all. She has, uh, she has ultimate confidence and inside she has a vulnerability that she wants to release. So this is the young woman that had all the energy. Yes. That you talked about. And I am amazed that she, cause she is, she is, you know, she does, she doesn't have super strength. She doesn't have that build. And that, th- that, that voice of Louisa came out of her. That amazed me. Yeah, me too. So, me too. No, yeah. she, she really impressed me a lot. Yeah. And so the, she was asked, what does she want people to learn from the film? She says it's important to ask questions, to learn their stories, that context is everything, and to talk about things. And don't be afraid to be yourself. 
Then they moved on to the family gossip song. They wanted a production number. And so that's We Don't Talk About Bruno. And I know this is for a lot of people. This is their favorite song out of the whole film. And they, this is where they brought in the choreographers to set the moods and tempos for the animators. So that's what you were talking about, Craig. Yeah. I think. And as the song was forming, Lin-Manuel would send in um, rough demos and then storyboards would be created and sent to Lin, who then shared them with the choreographers and he shot all of the dance in one master shot. Um, then the animators and, and the layout artists worked together to get the character's footwork. So they kept um, plussing it up. So, and like you said, that's that. That was a common process for a lot of Disney films, going way back to Sleeping Beauty and Snow White and yeah. all of them. So, so then there's the song "What Else Can I Do." He said Lynn got inspiration from the '90s Latin rock and roll. Um, he said it's rough music to, um, but but he wanted to use it to talk about internal conflict. In that, and then there was the the song "Dos Agregatos." I, I'm I apologize. I know I'm mispronouncing that, but this was the first song Lin Manuel wrote um, entirely in Spanish to sound like a folk song about two caterpillars that don't want to separate because they're afraid of the change that is coming. And it is a beautiful, beautiful song. And I think in the closing credits, do they have an English version of it? I don't I th- remember. I think they do. Anyway, so that was that. And then De Capella um, performed Surface Pressure. They came out and performed Surface Pressure. And then they did, uh, and that wasn't even the end of the evening. Then they did a Disney Plus preview of the first two episodes of the series Hawkeye. In there, and it it didn't dawn on me that you know I I'm going to be able to watch this in a couple of weeks, and I stayed. And then the problem was was getting back to the resort hotels because um, the it, it there was no transportation yeah. <laughs> because this ended so late, and so I thought maybe we should go to the Magic Kingdom because I saw buses running. And they kept, but then we, I thought, well, you know, I'll just go to downtown Disney and, um, walk over because I was staying in Saratoga Springs. The problem is the downtown Disney buses never came. They just kept moving and moving and moving out the time. And they had, um, we had bus drivers who were coming and understood our plight because I wasn't the only one that wanted to go to downtown Disney yeah. to catch, yeah. to get back to the resorts. And then, um, they kept radioing in saying, you know, the downtown Disney bus isn't coming. Finally, dispatch went home. So there was no one answering the, the Disney transportation radios. So, um, so finally, and we were trying to get Uber or Lyft, but they were doing surge pricing and it was outrageous. To get back to so it's like fifty dollars. Oh my gosh. Or something. Yeah, that's, that's so terrible. We we waited thirty minutes and then it got down to like fourteen dollars. And then that's I used Uber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me and my friend. We were staying at different resorts, but um we both went to we used Uber and he dropped us off. So it was crazy though. And I thought, you know, Disney 
probably should have known this was going to end after 11 p.m. and that buses and things weren't running anymore. So they should have they should have taken that into yeah. account. That yeah. not everybody was staying at the Contemporary or had cars. That's, so yeah, that, that's a big problem. That hopefully, I mean, I'm sure they, I'm sure they were made aware of the situation and will and will make sure it doesn't happen again in future events. But yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Yeah, but it was cool to see the first two episodes, and uh, and that was it. That was it for day one. A long, so, a long day, but a it lot was. Of stuff. It was, yeah, but it was, it was fun. So next time we'll talk about uh, what went on on Sunday, November twenty first, and there, you know, they talked, they talked about the, the beginning creation of Disney World. Most of it was done through two books, <laughs> and it was, it was delicious Disney. That our friend of the show, Marcy Creek of Smothers, um, helped co-write. And then the big, um, the big book really was the, the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. They used that book a lot over the course of the two days. They really promoted that book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, a lot was done through the pages of that book where it was still celebrating Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary, but it felt like it was a mer- though they were all merchandising panels. I don't know if you got if you had the same feel. Yeah, I, I uh, th- trying to think back a little bit, but yeah, I, I'd agree. I'd agree with you on that for sure. Yeah. So anyway, and of course, the book was for sale. Both books were for sale over in the, in the Mickey's of Glendale uh, shop yep, or whatever. A couple it was. books for sale. Yeah. So that was it. So we hope you enjoyed this as our as we take you along on our experiences of Destination D23. But now it's time for This Week in Disney History. So I think, Craig, it's, it's my turn this week to go first. And I went for the very end of the week. And oh. that's January... 29th, 1920. Okay. And I, it was on this day, Walt Disney and Up Iwerks, they saw an ad in the Kansas City Star, and it was calling out for artists at the Kansas City Slide Company. Now, at this time, the Iwerks Disney Art Studio is, is humming along. It's holding its own, not doing great, but doing okay. But Walton Ub thought it might be a good idea to sort of get in it on the ground floor here of a place like the Kansas City Slide Company. And later it would be called the Kansas City Film Ad Company. They, they just thought this would be an interesting. So, and it might mean a, a steady income coming in if one of them got hired there. So Walt just applies decided to apply for it and much to his surprise he's hired at a whopping forty dollars a month so walt's going to end up working there for more than two years and he will help to produce slides and one minute films show that will be shown at his as, as, as advertisements in movie theaters and 
Ub will continue to run the iWorks Disney Art Studio. However, as we all know, eventually the studio is going to fail. So Ub will also get a job at the Kansas um, City Film Ad Company. And working there together, Walt and Ub decide that their future is in making movies. So I thought I chose this event because this January 29th, 1920 is really sort of the spark uh, that will start the uh, the Walt Disney Company. Yeah, was ultimately. it successful? Uh, Kansas City, Kansas City Film Ad Company. No, the, this Walt Disney Company. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that they did pretty well for themselves. Oh, that's, <laughs> that is excellent. That, that makes me uh, very, uh, very happy to hear because you you had me worried for a second. You weren't you weren't giving us the end of the story. No, I, I have a feeling there the end. There's no end to this story. It, it's going to chug along. <laughs> we can truly only hope so that there's not someone who could uh, you know bring it all down from within i i don't think that's actually possible to happen i i think i think it's pretty much uh too well ingrained at this point in time <laughs> as long as there's no hostile takeover or something like that yeah if someone <laughs> could take over disney what company would you want it to be none i, I don't think there's any good company out there that could I think if a company did take it over, it'd be to dismantle it. Yeah, so. I, th- I think you're probably right on that. You know, I, I know people have said over the, the years at points, you know, like Apple would have been a uh, kind of a, a, a good, uh, a good fit in terms of Disney. But I, I don't know. I don't. I, I've gone back and forth with that one. But in terms of any other big company, I, I can't think of anything that would work out. But then again, I, you know, not on the Disney side, but the universal side, I would have never thought that Comcast buying, you know, stakes in, in buying out universal, their parks would ever work out. And well, that's, that it's clearly worked for them. (laughs) You know, other big companies have had successful mergers, but yeah, it's, uh, well, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that about, uh, I'm glad to hear that about the Walt Disney Company because I was pulling <laughs> for them, but I just I don't know. I was getting kind of worried. I was, I was thinking that it wouldn't work out, but sadly enough, uh, my choice, unfortunately, uh, I, I know you want something probably on the same gravity that yours was, but uh, this wasn't really a, a, a big week in terms of when I was looking through stuff. A lot of details about the academy awards uh i guess you know Mm -hmm. it's it's weird now that they've kind of moved and shifted because of uh, the pandemic and stuff but uh you know back when it was always right here at the end of the end of january it 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 was very very heavy based on uh, a lot of academy award news which that's always good for disney i guess (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in that way it's I mean, true it's good yeah. that they've won a lot of awards during this point in time but anyways i digress so uh, i think that one of the most exciting things of this week that i read about was that on january 24th it was a really big day 
in Disneyland because that's when Mickey's Toontown opened up in 1993. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously, obviously Toontown is still alive and kicking to this day. And it is in the current progress of getting a little bit of extra love and attention as we we have talked about very recently you know with the with the addition of mickey and minnie's runaway railway and then the uh oh gosh what was what was the weird word about the mountains that i can't remember now but oh i don't remember the topo it was like part of the topography or the Mm -hmm. it was there was (laughs) the weird way disney wrote about in the press release but uh just a a wonderful little area of Disneyland that I absolutely love. And I truly hope that it never, never, ever goes away. And I, of course I don't want to see Roger rabbit go away from it, but I just, I love that entire section, even though it doesn't, it shouldn't have any appeal to me as a grown man without kids. I shouldn't like it all, but it's just, it's whimsical and it's perfect. Mm -hmm. And I, I liked I liked our Toontown in uh, Walt Disney World, you know, before it got torn up to become Storybook Circus as part of New Fantasyland. I, I always liked it, but uh, Disneyland's just has it has a different energy to it. It it feels like if you would have told me that it opened with the park, I you can almost believe that in that way. It just it it has a home there, just under the railroad tracks. So I think. Obviously, it's important an important day for Mickey's Toontown opening, something that needs to always be remembered. I agree. And I love the architecture there because it was very different from you know, Toontown Fair because it, it's more based on, of course, who framed Roger Rabbit and that crazy, I don't know, googly architecture. There's no straight lines, no, no, you know, no corners, proper corners and all that. I mean, it, it's really impressive how they designed and built it. And I'm hoping when they, when they do this, when they're done with the reimagining of it, also some of the attractions that due to lawyers and things like that, lawsuits that they're somehow going to be able to freshen them up so that they're more enjoyable and interactive and all that again, you know, like Goofy's bounce house and Donald Duck ship and all that chip and Dale's, little tree they need to do they need to add things in there for children to do and all that and then they're doing toontown park and all that so that'll be nice i'm disappointed they're taking out two fountains and replacing them with one because i like those two fountains in there but um yeah i i i agree with you i think toontown is just a wonderful addition i like going in there and just sort of walking around. I like going on Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, but I like walking around there and just looking at, at things. Yeah. Oh, it, it's, um, there is a level of immersiveness to it that I feel definitely predated, uh, additions like, uh, like cars land and obviously star Wars galaxy's edge, you know, because, because it was under the railroad and in a different place and you couldn't, really see the outside you felt like you were in this world and the sounds uh the sights it all came together in this story and so i feel like i feel like it was one of the earlier ways of making you feel immersed in an area not that you don't feel immersed in adventure land or frontier land or any of the other any of the other lands out there but this is 
I guess because those are all rooted in some reality, this uh, Toontown just felt different because of that. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I agree with yeah. you. And it, I, again, as we mentioned with, with the Walt Disney world version, a different feel to it that I'd never, I never got the same level of, of immersion in that one as I do with Mickey's Toontown and Disneyland. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And of course it had gadgets, go coaster. It has gadgets, go coaster, which of course was for a lot of really young children. That's their first roller coaster. That was our granddaughter's first one. <sighs> And all that, and so it's it's a fun little coaster. Yeah, I I will be honest. I have never ridden it just because you know I I've had to ride our Barnstormer equivalent here in uh, Magic Kingdom, and I can barely fit on it. And mm-hmm. you know I don't I don't want to go to Disneyland and be uncomfortable and potentially hurt myself shoving myself into a little tiny roller coaster. So I I always just enjoy it from uh, the outside perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, good good choices there. All right. Well, you know, this week was big for Disney fans because the D23 Expo tickets went on sale. Uh, as of this recording, we, we have not gotten our tickets yet. Uh, hopefully, we will. I know you and I want to get the $8.99 tickets. What, what, what is it called? The uh, Hall D23 Preferred pref- Seating. Seating, yeah. And that goes on sale. Well, it it goes on sale after we record this episode. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's the one we're going for. I was, I'm surprised it got rid of Sorcerers. Yeah, so. it's um, it was definitely interesting. It was absolutely not what I expected when I sat down for the, the press event that we had from it on zoom and you know they're going through the ticket options and when that one popped up the hall of d23 preferred seating and seeing that not only was it um not only was it you know just what perfectly what we want it but also 899 dollars which that i i think the thing to like keep in mind with that is the sorcerer's ticket that was twenty five hundred dollars per mm-hmm. person. So we are talking an enormous amount of money because most people, if they were smart when they got sorcerers passes, they bought two of them because you were allowed to buy one for you and one for a guest. And mm-hmm. you know, it's the tickets that are so hard to come by. Why wouldn't you just buy two? Someone will be willing to go with you and spend that money. And for the most part. I would say when I had the Sorcerer's Pass, it was completely worth it. And I I didn't realize how lucky I was to get it. I thought it was the easiest process in the world to buy it when I did. Like, I didn't wait in any queues. It loaded instantly. I went through and checked out, and it was the simplest process. And then all I heard from people was, it was sold out, it was sold out, it was sold out. I'm like, I, I don't know how how that happened, how I got so lucky with it. And, uh, but once you were there with the sorcerers, you know, you were able to sign up for, uh, sign up for advanced pin sales that you might have a chance of getting. Um, you know, it's with some of the sets that were like one out of, you know, 10 sets available and a lot of people putting in, you know, bids to, or putting their name in what is essentially a raffle to get it. Not, not a lot of people could get everything, especially the ones who were like one out of one. But, uh, you, you had the chance to buy, 
like these pin sets ahead of time and obviously you're the first people to get to go in uh in all the shopping and do whatever shopping that you wanted and and pick up all your merchandise and a lot of people just with those perks alone would use that as their avenue to pay for the tickets they would just go in and buy stuff and then resell all the merch and you know d23 had to know that that was going on i mean it's people don't need to max out on the amount of (laughs) funko pops that they can possibly get and stuff but sorcerers would be walking out with every one of everything uh, solely to sell and and recoup their costs uh rhino and i didn't realize that that was the standard practice and so like we walked out with but i bought one funko pop set and he bought the uh the jared mariyama uh style mickey ears and then i think i also got the pixar tiki mug that they were selling there and that's it and meanwhile everyone else is like can we like back up the truck right up to the mm-hmm. side of the oh, building. Yeah. The I, I would see them with huge bags yeah. coming out of their event. Insane. Yeah. We, we just completely, A, I would not feel morally okay with doing that. I don't, I am not into reselling. I, I just, I'm not either. I don't, yeah. I don't see it. It's, but like, it's, we did feel like the odd ones out that we, <laughs> we weren't doing it. Uh, because it just it didn't dawn on me with it but again i wouldn't have done it anyways even if i if even if i would have thought about it or known in the moment but uh so that's like that's a lot of ways people use to justify the cost of the ticket and then of course you had that preferred upfront seating for not just hall d23 but all of the different stages Mm -hmm. and most of the time you know sorcerers could easily if they were just okay having their reserved seating, they could bounce around to all the different stages and hit everything they wanted. But even with uh, even with sorcerers, if you wanted like the first front rows, you were we were lined up an hour and a half to two hours before the big panel. So it just it 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 saved that seat, it reserved that seat, and you were close. But ultimately you still had to wait if you wanted to be like really upfront and close with it. So not, it, it, it still had its problems with that, but then they had like a, an opening night dinner and gave a gift bag full of stuff that was nice. And, uh, you know, they had a, a going away party where they gave everyone, I think champagne or sparkling, sparkling, uh, cider and, and stuff like that. So like there was little perks in it, but, uh, it twenty five hundred dollars to us. It was only worth it solely because of how close we were to get to the celebrities on stage. And I, I was fully ready to hear that the Sorcerer's ticket was back and was going to try to get it again for the twenty five hundred dollars, knowing that with what I love and enjoy, that being that close to celebrities would still fully fully pay for it but uh then the surprise of seeing the preferred seating pass i was like this is actually even better because yeah it saves me you know sixteen hundred dollars and the thing i got most out of the sorcerer's pass was getting that close seating and this is promised in it that you get that too without the weights with without everything so this is the perfect ticket because the last d23 expo i didn't go to a single panel that wasn't in hall d23 everything i did was in that hall because that's where i always want to be so i i I like the stuff in the other panels but i want to be close 
I want to, I want to, I want to be in those seats. So mm-hmm. this is, uh, I'm hoping, hoping that this entire journey that I just took us on, I'm hoping it's, I'm saying it was success that I was lucky enough to be able to get <laughs> the hall D23 preferred seating. But I, I will only know, we'll only know after tomorrow in terms of this for us and yeah i'm hoping the same thing yeah we getting that too no idea how many there actually are of them too we we pressed we pressed them in the event to say like hey how many are we limiting expo ticket numbers are we limiting d23 preferred seating numbers to a certain amount like a certain percentage and they were saying that the expo there were not, there are no restrictions on that. They fully intend to have a crowd there the same size as the last time we had an expo in 2019. Uh, and then in terms of what limited quantities means for preferred seating, it is also very, very uh, ambiguous as to what it will actually be because that, that stage holds 7,000 people. So I, I, you know, it could be 350 seats that they set aside for it. It can be 700. It could be a thousand. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what they go with it, but I think there's going to be a lot of us fighting for it. And hopefully you and I are two of the lucky ones. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. So my days of waiting in those long lines, I think are coming to an end. So, yeah. but I have my room reservations. <laughs> yeah, I I need to I need to get on that too. I know it's already starting to uh fill up, but I I for me it's I don't even I don't mind waiting in some lines for it. I just want I like this. I don't even need preferred seating actually with this. If it would have been $899 and I was just guaranteed a spot in the room, I probably would still actively go for this ticket. Uh just because the stuff I care most about this convention happen in that hall so i just want to be in the room i don't i technically i don't need to be so close that i can see the pores of all the celebrities as they're out there but uh you know if i can that's cool too but just having the chance to be in that room knowing that i'm you know it it was always the stress of saying like okay i'm gonna wait all all night and not know if i'm getting in or where i'm gonna sit once i'm in there and to have that knowledge that you're gonna be there is a it's a big deal. And if it's close, that's even better. Cause like one of the greatest memories I have from the last time around was when, uh, when uh, Chris Pratt and Tom Holland got to watch the trailer of uh, onward for the first time. And, you know, everyone's watching it on the screen, but they got down on the floor and sat together and watched it. And I was in a position where I could see them and they were literally mm-hmm. like hitting each other on the shoulder and getting so excited about it because that was the first time they were truly watching it. And yeah, I remember Tom Holland's mouth was just hanging open yeah. with this big smile as he was watching it. That, yeah. Yeah. It was captivating <laughs> to watch and to yeah. like, you know, just not watch the reaction on a screen in the room, but being close enough to see it. Like, I am. I'm so grateful. I had that opportunity too, and I uh, that I've, I've got those butterflies about D23 Expo this year. I want it bad. <laughs> Good, and we'll definitely be talking about it on the show. Mm-hmm. So uh, and recapping it and all that. So um, so stay tuned for that. So, but speak, uh, or speaking of resellers, uh, you know, do you have your closet full of Figment popcorn buckets so that you can? 
you know, pay for this $899 ticket? Absolutely <laughs> not. Um, I am so happy for everyone who was so excited about getting it. I truly hope that it was worth their time and that they enjoyed it. But I am happy to say that I did not spend a single second on it besides looking at the line and talking to some people in the line. And that was it. I, uh, a mutual friend of ours, who's a cast member, um, he was very kind. The day after the seven-hour lines, he went there and waited about an hour, mm-hmm. and he got me a popcorn bucket. So, Oh, that's nice. So that was very nice, because I'd asked him, hey, if there's any way you can get me one, I'll send you the money. And so so he did. I assume he got one for himself as well, And because um, I collect popcorn buckets. And uh, so, so I'll, I'll be happy to add that one to my collection. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's, it's a little goofy looking. It's still cute, but I, when I did look at it, it was just like the, the fear of missing out in me that was telling me that I wanted it. But then the rest of me was saying, you know what? I don't, I don't need this. There's other Figment fans out there who truly want this more. And if by not getting it, I'm giving them a chance to get it get it instead of me then you know what at least that's that's a good part of it but at the same time too it's it's not a surprise that as you made the joke about it that so many people were just there for ebay and and to put it up on ebay and i i hate every time something new comes out that we talk about with this because it just drives me drives me insane that there are so many people out there now who don't get a chance to have something that they truly wanted and would cherish uh, without paying an extreme markup because someone was close by and decided that a great business in life would be to buy Disney merch and sell it for a profit. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Just, I don't like it at all. I don't either, but I know a lot of people feel, well, what's the problem? They're buying it and they're reselling it. Who cares? Cause I saw a lot of those comments on Facebook and I thought, but, you know, it means, that, like you said, someone who's in the park who wants it for their child or something misses out because, you know, people are buying quantities of them in order to resell. So, um, so it is disappointing. But anyway, but, but for people that enjoy Figment, I hope that you are, were able to get a popcorn bucket when you were there for the Festival of Arts at Epcot. Um Oh, what do you think, Craig, of the next Pixar film, Turning Red, going straight to Disney Plus rather than to theaters? I'm very disappointed about it. I I think I'm in the same group of many people who, including from what I understand, also Pixar uh, animators and uh, Pixar employees in general, uh, it's, it feels like it's a vote of no confidence towards their products. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, well, I see that on two. I, I see both sides of it. I see it as a vote of them saying, we don't think this is going to do well enough in a the- theatrical release. So we'd rather put it on Disney plus and take the subscriber jump on it for that reason. It's, it's more worth it to us to do that. And I, I th- I feel like that's the mindset. I I hope it's not, and I hope their mindset on it is 
we have done research and found out that Pixar people are happy to sign up and subscribe even if they left their membership before they're happy to sign up for a month and do it that way and you know they usually stick around for a while after so that will help increase the numbers for a while and so we are we want to utilize the popularity of pixar to be able to do this and at least that way you can sleep a little bit but it just really feels like they're not confident in pixar's movies and you know it's I feel like it's not warranted. They still have a track record of having more hits than misses. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. If they were going through a dry spell. I totally understand right now. But, uh, you know, barring the time that the pandemic hit and stuff like you have to you have to wash part of onward because it barely was in theaters before it struck out. Uh, then with soul, it kind of was also placed in a in an awkward position that they they did the best they could with it with their their release strategy and i don't blame disney for anything with that but then coming around to luca there's no reason why it couldn't have been in theaters i agree with you i was surprised luca went straight to disney plus i think it would have done fine in theaters yeah i think it would have been soft for sure. I think Soul would have, if they would have been able to release Soul, I think that would have done very well. You know? Yeah, but that was theaters were closed. They were, yeah. Then, so they had no choice with Soul, unless they wanted to hang on to it. But I think that would have done, you're right, it would have done very well at the box office. Yeah. And I, you know, turning red, that's a bit of a question mark. I, whether or not it would do well. I personally have seen more people show excitement towards turning red than I saw for Luca. So I think, I think there was a chance, but you know, then there's all this discourse going on of like, Oh, well look what happened with Encanto. They released it in theaters and no one cared about it until it was on Disney plus. And I I also see that. Yeah, it's, it's true. More people cared about it once it was on Disney plus, but I don't know if that's necessarily because people were afraid to go to theaters because people were lining up in droves to go see Spider-Man. It's I think they did a terrible marketing job with Encanto. I saw almost no marketing for it. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I I don't think they did a good job with marketing for it and selling selling the movie and I, it just, you know, because Encanto deserved to do well. It, it deserved really a fair shot at the very least. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether whether or not, uh, like, you know, I'm, I am not the biggest fan of it, so I'm not going to beat around the bush on it. But every, every yeah, I know movie, you know, I, I think <laughs> I enjoyed it more than you did. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Every movie yeah. still deserves a fair shot, uh, yeah. at finding finding an audience, and you know, it's that's that's the tough part about marketing is sometimes they they miss it and. It's not. It's not fair when that happens with a, a, a good movie, and yeah, that's that's clearly what happened with Encanto because it has found yeah. an audience. It has, and the soundtrack now has become really popular since it hit Disney Plus. Um, the song "Everybody n- Nobody Talks About Bruno," whatever it is, uh, is is it's the one song everybody talks about, and I think it's the one song you can understand is part of it i think because it's not as fast as all yeah. the others but it is one of the most entertaining ones but um 
I, but Turning Red, so far, the trailers that I've seen for it, it didn't excite me. I would still have gone and seen it because I see all the Disney and Pixar films in the theaters. And I'm getting more selective right now because of the pandemic. About what will I go to the theater for? I would have gone for Turning Red. I have to tell you, though, between you and me, I thought Turning Red was a metaphor for the girl getting her menstrual cycle. Um <laughs> <laughs> because I thought, what the heck? That's she turns hilarious. into a panda. Um, a red so panda. I don't know. Huh? A well, yes, panda. a red panda. Yeah, I mean, really. <laughs> so, And then she gets angry. She, so, okay, I, I've had a 13-year-old daughter. So, um, so that's, I think, why I immediately thought of that. So I... I don't know. This, this has not intrigued me. And I, but, uh, but I'm willing to think, okay, but are they blowing marketing? Cause Disney has been terrible at marketing for quite a while now. And, um, so, but I, I'll watch it and I would have watched it in the theater. Yeah. I, too, so yeah, they, they have been very, uh, very light on the marketing for it. And I don't know if they truly, uh, truly showcased what all we should be expecting in it but part of what i really love about it is that it just something about this movie just has it feels like it's captured a little bit of the soul of like a studio ghibli movie and Mm -hmm. i think you know i and in my top three animation studios it, it definitely would be you know walt disney featured animation pixar and ghibli all together it's my three favorites and uh oh no would i put Leica in there because i love stop motion it's 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 tough i'll have to have that debate with myself off of this show because i like to hear i like Leica studios yeah yeah yeah. it's i mean those those are those are my top four for sure and part of part of the just i don't i don't know kind of knowing like oh it's a character who turns into a red panda with with the angst that ends up coming from it it just feels like something whimsical that you would see in the world of of studio ghibli and so mm-hmm. and there's a huge audience for that uh, so i i think this one could have been globally a big deal and maybe it still opens up in theaters and other territories and stuff and it's just exclusive to disney plus in the united states but i think it's i think it's going to surprise a lot of people and that's just me looking at trailers and trying to yeah to oh, guess good. the most out i of hope it. so yeah. I, well i want it to be successful and maybe if it, it maybe with encanto finding an audience on disney plus and 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 then if turning red is popular and all that then maybe they'll have, i don't know what the next pixar film is in the Hopper, but maybe they'll let that at least go to the theater again. Uh, the next Pixar is Lightyear. So, oh, that's going to the theater, yeah, definitely, and that will be successful. Yeah, I and mm-hmm. I, I feel like I remember what the next Disney one is too, but I'm having a little bit of a brain meltdown on that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just look it up right now. Disney animated feature, it, but yeah, Lightyear is definitely definitely going to be in theaters i know um so strange world will debut around thanksgiving 2022 what is that about 
So... No, it's not a princess film. Why do I feel like I don't remember what this is at all? It's so. funny because there's a Star Trek series coming out that I'm very excited about because I'm not a big fan of modern Trek, but it's it's Strange New Worlds, and it's supposed to harken back to the more traditional way of Trek storytelling. And it's the Enterprise, but it's pre-Captain um, Kirk. Yeah. It's Captain Pike. And all that. And so, um, so it's funny. So that two things coming out with similar titles. It is. Yeah. This is what it says with this is, um, back in at Thanksgiving, uh, or no, back in December. Uh, so just a little while back, the studio shared concept art and plot details, uh, but did not reveal the film's voice cast. Strange World centers on the legendary. Cladis, Clads, a family of explorers who differences threaten to topple their latest and most crucial mission. Mm-hmm. And it looks oddly like oddly like if you mixed a little bit of um, a little bit of already onward. It looks like if you mix onward but with outer space and oh, aliens okay. from that concept art. Huh. Well, I bet at the D23 Expo, we're going to hear a lot more about it. I, so. You know what, Michael? I think you might be right on this one. <laughs> <laughs> and you being the big Star Wars fan of the show, what do you think of, of the Book of Boba Fett series on Disney Plus? I've been watching it, and I'm, well, I know I haven't seen four, episode four yet because uh, that dropped. I, I do not wake up at midnight to that, watch. Neither do I the episode so i've not had time to watch it yet i'll watch it after we're done yeah recording yeah that's a uh, the same for me i don't stay up until 3 a.m because that's when it comes out on our coast and <laughs> then at that point too i if i wake up and it's still dark outside i can watch it on wednesday if not then i have to wait for wednesday night to watch it at night so i can see it properly too much too much natural light in my windows um <laughs> i thought uh, I thought the first episode was good, set up a mm-hmm. lot of promise. I thought the second episode was not my favorite, but I still didn't lose any hope in the show. And then the third episode happened, specifically uh, 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 extra characters were introduced in it and some of the most horrendous CGI in any Star Wars. Oh, the, the little show. Vespa chase? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, that it was terrible. Took that was the it. worst CGI. Yeah. Um, you know, and or however they did it, but it was the slowest high-speed chase I've ever seen. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I mean, obviously, they use their like weird dome dish thing for it that they use on the Mandalorian. So I know that impacts a look on it. And I know there's a lot of super talented uh, visual effects creators that, that work on it. So I really don't want to belittle their look. I'm sure the reason it looks the way it does is because partially it came down to budgets and just constraints. And they they probably were in a place that it's that's the best that it could be. And you can't just cancel half of the show and change the characters because of the look of that that would be a mess um but it just took me it took me out of the world it did and you could even see them shake 
you know, the the little Vespa scooter yeah. things, whatever they were riding, that you could see them shake. My one of my big problems, I have a couple of big problems with this series. And is that one is what's the point of it? Because in the other series, like Mandalorian, th- there was a mission. The Mandalorian had to get the child to a place. Yep. He had, so, and that's where he was going. And that's been true with all the uh, Marvel series. There was a goal that they were all trying to achieve in WandaVision and Loki and um, Hawkeye and all that. You knew what what they were striving for. I have no clue what where this series is going. Boba Fett just sort of seems to walk around. and And you know what? I don't know. Boba Fett's getting old because he doesn't seem quite as sharp. And that's my other problem I have with this. He's making some really dumb decisions. Whereas he was a bounty hunter. He, he was always one step ahead of Han Solo and everybody. Here it's like he's one step behind. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, obviously, that's been his statement. He's re- been repeating over and over. I'm not a bounty hunter. And like, I, I guess, like, for me, the plot that I'm seeing with the show, which I think is what they're going for, is that it's trying to really establish two things. They want to establish how he got to where he did in The Mandalorian, since they didn't mm-hmm. cover that. And I feel like they've successfully done that at this point now. There, There's obviously... Uh, probably a little bit more to go because they haven't completely closed the gap between uh between where they're at right now and where he showed up in the mandalorian so they still have some room with that to work over the next episodes but then the other part of it is obviously uh, showcasing how he wants to be the new crime lord of that territory and i guess i'm confused as to why he wants to be a crime lord of that area and it's the plot but unless i missed a line somewhere along the way they've given no motivation what what does Mm -hmm. it benefit him does he want people to just pay him to rule over that land and that's what he wants to do for a living so it's what he's doing like i i just i guess i don't yeah i thought it. it is it revenge for the tuscan raiders getting slaughtered who had enslaved him and then he befriended. So there's a weird, wacky little storyline too. But I thought, okay, maybe that's his motivation. Uh, so I, I'm just not sure what's going on. And how did these giant slugs, the huts, get so popular when they don't seem to be able to move of their own volition? And what a stupid way they enter that city on this giant litter when anybody could have taken them out. Because I mean, so 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 that part bothers me too. Yeah, it's like I know a lot of the hut stuff. You know, you learn more about the huts in in parts of the Clone Wars and such. And it's just, I I agree with you for the most part. Like, you never want to be a big target, and they always have been. Is it just that people don't care about them enough to take Mm -hmm. them out? I, I genuinely have have no idea, but. Yeah, they, it, each episode there has just been like one or two small decisions that I haven't I haven't agreed with, but just dis, didn't dislike it enough to 
to turn on the show, but I, I hope, I hope when we talk next week that uh, I'm, I'm saying very positive things and saying, oh my gosh, they turned it around. They turned it around. I do too, because I, because I want to enjoy this. I, I, you know, because I, 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 I'll keep watching it. Oh, and how did that black Wookiee get in there when he, when, when the, when Boba Fett is regenerating in his water tank? He's got crappy guards. Yeah, his back. I mean, how did it, they, they had, there were people everywhere. And then during the fights going on, nobody hears it. I, I don't know. So uh, I, that bothered me too. And then he just lets the Wookiee go. Yeah. So, and I thought, okay, he just tried to kill you and now you're just letting him go. Yeah. It's all, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but they, they also have to let him go because like, it, and that's another thing where I think it's like it, it, Star Wars clearly knew that, he was going to be a hugely popular character, even with very little, very little screen time. Cause you know, mm-hmm. he, he came from the comics and was a popular character in the comics. And I'm not going to pretend I know anything about it because I, I don't, I don't have time to read comic books. Uh, but I knew that, I knew that he was an important character from some of the comics. And I mean, people truly did lose their minds just over the look of him. Um, just just based on that so then when he got a little bit of action of course of course that was a highlight of that moment but yeah i don't i don't think it'll be the last time we see uh Kersantin at all oh is that his name yes uh, black Kersantin. <laughs> oh okay so well no oh no i'm sure he's coming back so I've probably no on their side <laughs> oh most likely because you know he's going to sell a lot of they're going to make a lot of plush of him. <laughs> so, you know, he has to come back. Not going to lie. A, it's it, a merchandising it, opportunity. Yeah. If they, uh, if they sold it in uh, Galaxy's Edge as like one of the, the authentic to the Star Wars world plushes, I would buy one immediately without thinking. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I have the Chewbacca ones, so I, I would have to continue my, my Wookiee collection. You would. You have to get the whole family. Do you, do you have the whole family from the Christmas special? I no, I didn't. I I do have my <laughs> Chewbacca in his Christmas special outfit, okay. and that's that's good enough for me. But I have both of the Boba Fett's. You know his his uh, cartoon character colors and his his uh, his normal colors. I I don't. I am so embarrassed that I have so many of those plushes. <laughs> they sit in a basket in our bedroom and I look at them and I think back to like, yeah, I remember I remember being there and seeing them all in the basket at Galaxy's Edge and they made me happy so that's why I got them, but then when you start adding up numbers on how much I spent on plushes oh, goodness. Oh, I'm not I'm not one to talk <laughs> so I have, there are a lot of plushes in my house too. And then when I miss some of them when they they sell out of ones that I want or discontinue them, then I'm like kicking myself. Like, why didn't I just buy it? <laughs> now I'll never have it. So, well, Craig. Until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Well, as always, you can find me on all the shows I'm on on the Disunplugged Podcast Network. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. And you can always email me, Craig, at wdwinfo.com. But what about you, Michael? 
You can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, michaelbowling connecting with Walt. And Instagram, I'm michaelbowlingthediz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DisneyPlug.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.